Hello, I'm Regina Botras and this is Backstage, where we talk with the who's who on stage, in dance, comedy and performing arts, speaking with the leading theatre makers of our times and how they came to the stage and what drives them and inspires them. I am joined by Artistic Director of BBT uh, and playwright Thomas DeAngelis. He's bringing the work Trackworks, which will take centre stage at Sydney's iconic Mortuary Station uh, from the 21st of November. He started writing when he was about 23. He studied arts, law, uh, and he's currently joining me from ATYP for, well, he can tell us what's going on there. Uh, Welcome, Thomas DeAngelis. Hi, Regina. Great to be here. Great to have you. So, uh, well, what is happening at ATYP? Well, one of the other hats I wear is I'm a research associate for the CREATE Centre, which is based at the University of Sydney. And we look at the impact of uh, the arts on education, health and wellbeing. And today we're hosting with ATYP a symposium, which um, I presented at and we've had a number of presenters from around Australia come and present at. um, And it's been a wonderful day and um, it's just started um, thunderstorming outside. But We've been talking about all the wonderful affordances of the arts. Um, And I did talk a little bit about um, Trackworks uh, to sort of try and plug it to the delegates to see if I could get them to buy some tickets. Uh, But my presentation was on um, site-specific theatre and uh, some of the work that uh, me and my company do. So yeah, tell me a little bit about your company. So site-specific driven work. So you look at the space and kind of ground up from there, is it? That's that's right. I mean, um, this work really all started um, way back in 2016. Um, Clemmie Williams, who's the co-creator and director of Trackworks, uh, she and I had met at NIDA and um, we, you know, actually, the, Clemmy really had the idea for Chamberpot Opera when she was a, um, an opera student, a voice student at the Conservatorium. And um, she was kind of told back then that um, there were really only three roles that women could play in opera and they were either bitches, women who wear britches or witches. <laughs> and um, the other thing that happens to women in opera is they often end up sort of dead um, or raped or murdered at the end, um, you know, or they commit suicide. So it's not a good, it's not a lot of, um, shall we say, breadth and depth to many of the female, classic female roles in opera. And so Clemmie had this idea to stage an opera in a space that only women could go into. And that was how we came up with um, Chamberpot Opera, which was a, a, a pastiche opera or like a jukebox opera. We used to call it the Mamma Mia of operas because they were arias that you would recognise weaved over a new story. And we did it at the um, Level 2 Ladies Powder Room at the Queen Victoria Building, which uh, for those of you that have been there will know it is an incredibly ornate and beautiful um, bathroom. And then the success of that show um, in Sydney uh, allowed us to tour it to Adelaide, to a really beautiful bathroom in Adelaide at the Piccadilly Cinemas in North Adelaide for the Fringe. And then we um, went to Edinburgh to um, Assembly Hall and did it in the bathroom there. And then we went to St Petersburg, which is um, unfortunately probably something that none of us will ever get to do again, um, and did it at, um, in St Petersburg at the world's largest site-specific theatre festival. And then we did our final production of that show at the Sydney Opera House in the um, ladies' bathroom, the Playhouse bathrooms. I think that's when I saw it. The acoustics of a bathroom is just 
Yeah, 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 exactly. And everyone sung in a bathroom and, you know, everyone... I'd heard all the jokes <laughs> and that was a very small production, you know, that only had a cast of three. And we, you know, it was challenging to continue to find beautiful bathrooms because often bathrooms are not that beautiful, um, particularly if they're male bathrooms. <laughs> um, so we, we found... We managed to find... Um, four different bathrooms, you know, around the world and um, we staged that show there. And then Clemmy and I had always wanted to do something bigger um, given that we'd sort of done this sort of proof of concept and we had this idea to do a show at a train station. And part of the reason for that is kind of like with Chamber Pot Opera, we were trying to make opera accessible to a general audience as it always kind of was when it was first written and first sort of popular art form. But um, obviously, lately, it's become an art form that is considered very high art. Um, it's very expensive to go to the opera, um, particularly in Sydney. And so we really wanted to craft a show that was contemporary and relevant to a contemporary audience um, that used some of the more beautiful and, you know, um, the, 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 some of the rich arias from history and create a new story that would work in that recontextualize these areas and, and, and weave them over a new story. And so it's difficult to find a publicly accessible um, train station um, and to occupy it without disrupting commuters. But fortunately, there is a really beautiful, ornate, gothic train station just nearby um, Central Station in Sydney called Mortuary Station, which has, a, which has its own rich and wonderful history. And um, we had been in discussions with Sydney Trains to bring that show to life in late 2020, but, you know, the world had other plans. And so it's taken us a little while, but we have finally gotten the show on and we open on the 21st of November at Mortuary Station. And what a great place to set it. Are you taking some of that history of the space into the work? We, look, you know, that station has been used in a number of um, guises. It was originally used simply to transport the recently exhumed bodies from uh, where Central Station currently is all the way to Rookwood Cemetery because Central Station was built on Sydney's second cemetery. Um, and then they had to expand the railway and so they needed to figure out a way to get the bodies out of there. And then it was used, you know, if your um, dearly departed um, died and you were based in inner city or you lived in sort of what was then Sydney, you know, sort of the, the limits of Sydney really, um, in, and I'm talking sort of late 1800s, um, you would put your loved one in a coffin and put them on a funeral train that departed from Mortuary Station and went all the way to, uh, to, to Rookwood. Um, and... Then subsequently it was used it was used briefly as a kind of commutist, uh, commuter train station, um, but it, you know, it sort of lives in the shadow of Central, which is just much bigger and has, you know, so many more lines running to it. The It has the reputation of being the most carved building in Sydney, and I think it, that's a well-deserved reputation. There are on the... It's, you know, entirely made out of sandstone, which many of those colonial-era buildings were, but um, in the sort of... Um, you know, towards the ceiling of the um, of the station, there are um, twenty five um, individually carved cherubs, winged cherubs, that are each unique. Um, and then there are other really lovely features of the station, like on the way in, on the gates, there are um, hourglasses with wings on them uh, to symbolise tempus fugit or time flies, um, which is no doubt what 
one was thinking when they were bringing their dearly departed to, you know, to their final resting place. So it has a rich history. It, it's also been it's also been used for other things other than operas. Um, it was a it was a pancake roller skate restaurant um, <laughs> in the eighties. Um, apparently, there was a rave there in the nineties. And then it's also been used and um, is still used as a place of residence for people that sleep rough um, in Sydney because it's very quiet. If you can manage to get in there, it's um, very safe and well lit and not a lot of people know about it. So it's it's had many uses over, over the years and we've tried to draw on those many uses in the creation of uh, track works and the story we're using. So what is that story? Well, we meet... Um, <laughs> Five individuals who are on the train station. It's late one evening. They're on. They're you know waiting for the last train home after a long day in the city, and we're really you know each of their stories uh, was designed to be something instantly recognisable. We have um, a young ambitious lawyer who started out fighting the good fight, but has since sort of sold out and become a bit of a corporate hack. But dreams of a bigger and brighter future. We've got two young schoolgirls who are trying alcohol for the first time um, away from the prying eyes of the station master. We've got a young um, queer woman who um, is sleeping rough on the station and uh, trying to sort of relate to the passers-by but not too closely. And then we've got the station master who, you know, in many ways sort of represents authority and um, also the kind of rigour that's involved in running a train station. So um, those, those stories and, and their, um, those characters interweave and interrelate with one another and it's, um, it's a beautiful story that really focuses on the power of connection, which I think is something that even though when we're on public transport we're surrounded by, you know, sometimes, you know, hundreds of other people, we don't actually make... Um, genuine connections with them. In many ways, for a while there, we were told not to. We were told to sit a metre and a half away from them. And I think it's very easy to sort of say, well, we've all got our heads in our phones nowadays. But even, you know, 50 years ago, you know, it was commonplace to see people reading a newspaper or, you know, a book on, on, on public transport. So what happens when you're forced to confront and, um, I guess, engage with a random member of the public in a public space. What does that mean? Um, how is that experience lost and does it have any meaning anymore? That's These are the questions that we're asking um, in TrackWorks. Mm. So how do... I, I imagine there must be an inciting incident to make, you know, them interact with each other. But... Um, <laughs> I can't give it all away, Regina. No, I wasn't going to go there. I just sort of <laughs> imagining. But um, how do you choose the, the music that goes with these stories, like the arias, like the operatic pieces yeah um it's sort of like that question that they used to ask Stephen Sondheim you know what comes first the music or the lyrics and I think that um we try to go uh, just like Sondheim a little bit of, a little bit of the time so we sort of start with a bit of a story and then we try to find a an opera piece or an aria that fits that context and so it's very much sort of one foot after the other. And it's a bizarre way to work because if it were a play that you were just writing, you would write whatever you want, you know, and you would just make it make sense. But when you're limited by your ability to only use, you know, work, works from a catalogue or the canon, um, you have to... It's, it's really like fitting together um, pieces of a puzzle from several different puzzles, you know, and... Um, it's challenging and we use, you know, we, it's in many ways it's the ensemble that works to stitch 
um, these songs together and create the connective tissue between each aria. Um, there's no spoken dialogue. Uh, there are a few trained announcements. That's the only sort of English that's in the show. Um, but all of the all of the content is sung. And there are surtitles that are projected onto the wall of the station for the audience to read so that they can follow along. And those surtitles are um, essentially idiomatic, ad- adapted translations of the original text to kind of slightly, we sort of bend the text slightly to fit the new context. But there are, there are areas in their original form. And I suppose it's a measure of their strength, that, um, how well that they hold up and how well the themes and things that they address are still resonant resonant today so with a site-specific work I mean it's a beautiful setting obviously but what are the challenges with it I mean I you know it doesn't come with an inbuilt seating bank I suppose but you know how do you like for this particular work what are you what have been the specific challenges for you in many ways the challenges of working in this way yields um kind of you know, the bigger the challenge, the, you know, it's proportionately, there's a direct proportionate um, sort of uh, relationship with the opportunity that is then availed of you. So, no, there's no seating bank, um, but that just made us think hard about, well, how would we bring people in here and how would we orient them towards what we're deciding is the playing space of this station? Um, we, you know, although we don't really have... Um, a set as such, the building itself is the set. So we try to investigate what, I guess, opportunities opportunities there are within the existing structure, um, how and, and think deeply about how we can highlight the parts that will inform the story, whether it's through sort of lighting them up in an interesting way or interacting with them in an interesting way. One of the characters might, you know... Um, discover a secret passage or you know open a door that the audience wasn't aware of and it's those sorts of things that I think make the work really enjoyable um, and again it's it's like that Rubik's cube you know trying to kind of make it all sort of work out um, but the you know it, it's it's really a great privilege to be able to be in these spaces you know mortuary station is heritage listed and we've been um, entrusted with it by Sydney trains and we take that very seriously absolutely and it's gorgeous I have been in there for various art exhibitions over the over the years so why what is I mean you've probably answered this really but what is it about site-specific work that you like love like why are you drawn to to make works like that and have you done anything that was sort of more traditional or classic Oh, yeah, I, I have. Um, I've written plays that you know have been staged in theatres, conventional theatres, um, and in fact, most you know everyone that's involved in the show has worked in a kind of more conventional sense. Um, you know, the truth of the matter is that um, space is very expensive in Sydney, and a lot of what motivated us in the initial part of the development for this show um, and for Chamber Pot Opera and other work that we've done is that sometimes the um, theatres are too expensive to hire to create the work that you want to create. Um, and, you know, to put it bluntly, the cost of hiring this disused railway station, which is, you know, arguably one of the more beautiful buildings in Sydney, is significantly cheaper than um, hiring a theatre, um, which is, you know, understandable in a way. I mean, it, there's there's no lighting rig, so there's, you know, it's it, 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 in some ways I guess it just sort of is worth less on a kind of, I guess, monetary scale, but then in many other ways, it's worth so much more. The value of it is um, so great. 
Um, so, you know, I think that's one of the key reasons how we ended up here. We we wanted to do work so badly that we would do it um, in the toilet if we had to. Um, and uh, I think we weren't fully aware when we embarked upon this um, journey that there'd be a, an audience for this work. I, I think, uh, you know, I'm still surprised that so many people came to see that opera in the bathroom. And um, I think what we're playing with with Trackworks is still a kind of, we're really bringing the beauty of the music to the fore. It's still a very intimate experience for a very, you know, small number of people. Um, so, and the thing that we're really trying to highlight with Trackworks um, is that this building has a rich history, is stunningly beautiful, and is in you know in the context of a of a theatrical production is absolutely spectacular. So, in the like Aristotelian sense, so that's that's what we're that's what kind of does it for me, I guess. Does it is it the the space that comes first then? Because I mean, there's su- such a great idea, and I imagine this sort of work at Central Station or another station would be obviously a very well, you can't control it, can't control your audience. There's so many other factors. So is it is it the space that comes first for the work? I think uh, we really, we had the idea to do it at a train station and then I think that that was a fairly, that was a nebulous mm-hmm. idea. The kind of atom of it was decided and then it was about what, how does this work on a practical level? Mm. It's not easy to find disused railway stations <laughs> in Australia at least. There are quite a few regionally but that represents challenges in terms of getting the audience to them. I believe Norpa did a um, really incredible um, work, you know, a piece of theatre on a railway station outside of Lismore a few years ago. Um, And so it has been done. And site-specific work has a rich history as well. Um, And in particular when, you know, in sort of like a community theatre context, it's rare for, you know, smaller communities to have access to I guess, um, high-quality theatres. And so you're often doing them in old town halls or surf clubs or whatever. Um, so I think that in many ways the the space comes first because if you can't find the space to kind of tell the story, then the story can't be told. It, it, there's, you know, it wouldn't be the same to try and recreate Mortuary Station as a set on a stage. It, this wouldn't be the same um so we we keep our eye out i suppose for um interesting spaces we we had you know um vague ambitions to do something at the um now disused tower cinemas in newcastle and um you know we're still holding out hope that we'll be able to get in there and um do something there so i think it's sydney has a lot of these places that are um you know not being used for their original purpose that sit vacant if they're safe um i want to know about them because i think that they have a rich story to tell and um they'd be the be beautiful sites for some Mm. work and that would be a completely different story obviously in a in in a cinema and i mean i was thinking about that in terms of you know i asked you what the story was but when you do look at people on a train station you read so much into their story before you even no, before you know anything, I don't know if you want to comment on that, but in the writing of it, you know, uh, what sort of decisions did you make did, with the kind of, I don't know, the history of the person or like 
I don't know, is there anything that kind of talks to you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing about opera arias are they're often the internal thoughts and emotions of the characters sung, Mm. you know. Um, We've tried to find as many um, duets and trios for this opera so that we can have a kind of more um, dialogical um, experience. But, you know, very often in opera, um, you know, the the performers will often talk about... um, it's just about, it's the, they call it parking and barking. You know, you walk out on stage, you stand still and you sing the song and um, it's you're getting the raw emotional, um, you know, subconscious of the character really sung in all its glory. And I think that that abounds in each of us. And it is true that when you're sitting on the bus and you're looking across or on the train and facing someone you've never met, of course, the thought crosses your mind, who is this person? Um, you know, <laughs> what are they up to? Where are they going? Where have they been? And I think that that is evident in, in the work that we're, um, that we're doing at Mortuary. It sounds very exciting. So your arts law degree, has that helped you? Like I think of the legalities of some of these <laughs> sort of spaces or, I mean, probably not with that work, but how did you come to be doing arts law um, and does it feed into your work? Oh, I, I just thought it was a good idea at the time. <laughs> just something you do <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh, I, i'm having a lot more fun now than i did working as a lawyer mm. that's for sure mm-hmm. well you've got all that background history in case you get into trouble um <laughs> so, <laughs> let's not rule it out uh so just finally on, on the create work that you do is it create it's create it's not Create New South Wales. It's it? the Create Centre at um, the University of Sydney, yeah. What sort of other work sort of is it do you get involved with 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 that, I guess, body? Yeah, so the Create Centre is um, running a number of research projects at the moment. One of them is looking at the impact of um, Bell Shakespeare's Players Program, which um, tours to rural and regional schools, um, takes a sort of small troop of actors. It's nothing but four actors, a car and a road case, and they create... Um, small Shakespearean plays for students that are directly related to the curriculum. So we're sort of measuring the impact of that. Also working with ATYP and Barking Gecko Theatre Company, looking at the legacy impacts of theatre on young people. Um, We're working with the Matilda Centre, which is a um, youth, adolescent mental health um, research centre at the University of Sydney and looking at how we can use play, um, you know, play in the sort of child's play sense, um, to um, give early childhood kids uh, a chance to safely understand and uh, express traumatic events. So um, as, as a kind of guard against anxiety, um, I suppose. And so, yeah, we do really interesting work. It's all arts-based, applied arts-based. Um, and we just, we investigate and research um, how these interventions um, or, you know, going to the theatre or going to see the symphony or playing a musical instrument, how and in what ways that has an impact um, on young people. And I suppose the reason I'm drawn to it is that it certainly had an impact on me when I was young. Well, do you remember that sort of impact, that first moment? Um, yeah, I'm, yeah, of course. I think I, the sort of first, uh, it was either Oliver at the Lyric Theatre or it might have been The Boy From Oz. Um, but I saw one of, I can't remember which one was first, but I remember those early... Um, I mean, who would forget those big musicals? Um, but then, you know, as um, a kid, um, I was always sort of singing and um, not dancing, that's for sure. Still can't dance. Um, and then, you know, in your introduction, you said, 
I've been writing since I was 23. I, you know, I think, I think I've been writing my whole life. I think most writers would say that, you know, the more I look back at, you know, things I was doing and assignments that I've kept and stuff like that, I kind of see traces of the writer um, really early on. Mm. Well, Thomas DeAngelis, I just can't wait to see this production track works. And thank you so much. It's just incredible, um, all the work that you're doing. Thank you for joining me. Thanks very much. Great to be here.